90.7 WXIN Stadium Experience. Jake Elmsley here. Coming to you from the past. According to segment on here here on Monday. Game Rage air on Wednesday. And we have a guest here joining us to talk a little bit of Celtics here. And welcoming to the show is going to be the radio voice of the Boston Celtics. Welcome to the show, Mr. Sean Grandian. How are you today? I'm hanging in. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for joining us here today. Hey, I mean, what else would you do in New Orleans? Just hang out on a game day, back to back, out of clothes, end of the trip. Well, hey, I mean, New Orleans is one of my favorite cities, so I hope you have a little bit of fun there at some point. I love New Orleans. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, I've been down here for a Patriots game, I've been down here for a couple of things. I've never, I think it's a fascinating city. It's a great stop on the tour. Uh, I'm not, I think people come down here and treat it like spring break and then, and then leave. So sometimes it can be, uh, it's not the most pleasant place to be downtown that's fair. people that come from other places not the people that live here but uh, you know it's a smaller nba market too it's uh um you know whether they can support the team or not so it's sort of interesting but the smoothie king different. center yeah this which is one of my favorite names for any nba stadium but i mean basically let me just call you obviously talk some celtics and obviously the celtics are they're not doing great right now staying at 10 and 10 they've lost four of their last five obviously once again this is airing on wednesday so we'll see what happens with the pelicans game but Either way, I mean, just I guess just to start. I mean, what is a, I guess, what do the issues start for this team? Because there one. I think there. Are, I don't think there is one. I think there's a lot of them, and that's everybody just wants there to be one. <laughs> Mike Green texted me uh, the other day, and he's like, "What's going on? What's the what?" And I'm like, "I can't do this in a text, dude. It's like, it's more complicated than that. There's a lot of little things adding up. I think it's very frustrating. I think it's frustrating internally. It's frustrating externally when you consider that." It's not like you turn the whole team over. It's largely the same team that you had last year, but they almost seem to have a completely different personality to them. And there is, again, there's no one thing. Obviously, trying to get Gordon Hayward, you're going to have to deal with this period of time with Gordon Hayward, not Gordon Hayward. And if I think at, in the end, him to become Gordon Hayward again, he has to play now. And that comes in a price. I think that is one. Number two, they sort of define rules and he's getting overplayed. I think it's more about the combination of players. Um, I think you see the difference between one of the Celtics is playing extremely well and being himself and, and giving you what he gives you with Marcus Smart versus Cam Rozier. I don't think it's, I think it's a human nature. When one got their contract and the other didn't, and that's the nature of it. As a young player, you've got to fight through it. And I, I think what Terry doesn't realize is, you know, be a star in the 20 minutes you're playing, and there will be no shortage of teams with big money offers for you when it's over. But if it doesn't go well for him here and he doesn't turn it around, then he that's what hurts his you not him playing twenty two minutes instead of instead of twenty eight. Uh Aaron Baines, who was a big part of last year, hasn't played as much. You know, I mean jump in and stop me anytime and uh, these are just one after the other after the other. And I think the one that's gotten overplayed or underplayed a lot is and I think it goes away over these last few games because mm-hmm. they really played poorly, particularly against New York. Is that the schedule at the start was was pretty tough. Right. And if you retrace your steps, and I think that's what brought more attention to it than there should have been. If you have a the first twenty games have been an easier schedule, Celtics have a better record, and people aren't paying as much attention. But look at the first two games of that trip. If you if Oladipo doesn't hit that crazy shot mm-hmm. where he runs up the floor and hits the three, and you don't blow an eighteen point lead in the next game at Denver, you started eight and two. Right, right. And nobody's really paying. You know, the the the, ex, the external stuff isn't there as much. So I think people are overreacting. But I think there's legitimate problems here, and I don't think we're that far away from, you know what, this isn't working as constituted. 
Right, and I do think that at least the solution to the issue is it starts with Coach Stevens because obviously this is this is the first year he's had a team that's really had this much this much talent. Obviously, this many players who now kind of have a who might players who might have a feeling that they are owed something or players who have the right to feel something. I mean, you have two, three all-stars in Hayward, Irving and Horford. Hayward obviously coming back, but still Hayward, you know, is a guy who's used to leading his own team. You have Tatum and Brown who've spent, you know, the better part of the offseason, you know, being hyped up. Tatum obviously basically people putting him in the Hall of Fame. And I mean, this is a different type of team, different makeup, even if it's a lot of the same personnel than Stevens has had in the past, where teams have mainly been, you know, guys who are almost everybody on the team is outperforming who they've been in the past. But now he, I mean, he has guys, and I guess what, does he have to do to kind of rein that in and coach a team like this? I mean, this is the level of talent you need to win a championship in the NBA. So, I don't. I think that you're what you're asking is a lot of people to sort of go outside of their own personality and who are the grab you by the collar, you know, rah rah, let's go, let's get at it, get in your face, guys. And I think the Celtics have a couple of those guys, but it's you know, it's Marcus Smart and, and Marcus Morris, and can you really do that? from a bench role. That's not Brad's personality. And if you think about the starting five for the Celtics, highly, highly skilled group, but it's not, it's a far more cerebral and docile, you know, personality-wise group. So there isn't that, you know, I thought it was really interesting to hear Kyrie talk about, well, you know, it'd be good if we had another veteran in here. and another. Well, dude, that's, that's kind of your dick. Mm-hmm. I know you don't want it, but that's your, you know, what you, what somebody has to do here. That said, you know, a couple of wins here. To me, it's far more about the basketball. I think that stuff gets overplayed. Right. Chemistry gets overplayed. Who's going to fit together? And the fact that we, we never saw last year is what would have happened if you had had Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward largely playing the same position. The more you are dependent on Aaron Baines to play, you got to play Baines and you got to play Horford and you got to play Kyrie. So all of a sudden, you've got you know three guys for those other two spots. And, you know, and Terry Rozier and all this. So how are those guys going to play together when they play is is really the question to me. Right. And you talk about the lineup, and a, lot, and a lot of people have made it about, well, if you change around the starting lineup, X, Y, and Z, you know, maybe that's the solution. And I agree with you. I think that's overplayed. I mean, I don't think it's just a matter of, oh, well, if you put, like, if you put Morris in the starting lineup over Hayward or over Blount, you run into the same problems. I mean, you still have three forwards out there trying to get, really play out of the same area. So, I mean... Is there anything to that, though? Is there anything about the lineup shifting that you think could at least in the short term rectify this team, or do they just have to kind of figure out how to gel together? Because I think that the starting lineup now is a lineup that they need in the end. Yeah, I think it's, it's first of all, it's who finishes and who starts. It's a combination of guys. You know, it's like Marcus Morris and Gordon Hayward kind of fit together pretty well. That lineup has had success. You know, who's on the other side? If you have, you know, Nurkic or Anthony Davis or uh, Cantor or whatever, you you're going to have to have Aaron Baines. You know, Aaron Baines, like Al Horst, you're not, it's not fair to ask Al Horst to do all the different things he's doing and then also guard the 280-pound guy. And I think Al Horford, I've heard some whispers now, Al Horford isn't looking the way he used to. No, what's happening is the balls are getting beat clean at the start of the pick and roll, and Al's the guy that looks bad because, it, you know, that, that's what happens. It's, it's team defense. So, you know, you start, re- you start retracing. Let's look back at it. It was one thing when it was, hey, right? Jamal Murray is a great – all the people's great players. Okay, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Jamal Murray, right, he's a highly skilled player. He has his career in that. Okay, fine. But then when you start adding Trey Burke mm-hmm. and Ricky Rubio and J.J. Burrell, 
on this list, okay, this is no longer a coincidence. This is about the initial point of attack and, you know, being better defensively at that at that spot. Well, and you bring that up, and it's something you brought up on Twitter as well, but, I mean, in defense of this team almost, it kind of feels like for years the Celtics routinely seem to fall victim to just some kind of backup guard, some kind of backup swing man. always feels like during these regular season games, always just some random guy who finds a way to have his career night against the Celtics. And is that in some way almost a credit to the starting defense maybe that these teams, that their actual good players can't get going and then it comes down to a guy like J.J. Barea? Well, a lot of it is who are you, who are you taking out. You can't take everybody out. You know, tonight you want to limit the damage of Anthony Davis, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're better off against the Pelicans having Anthony Davis score 50 if you can stop Drew Holiday from scoring, if you can stop Joey Randall from scoring. Every team is different, but a lot of it has to do with what you're choosing to take away. Mm-hmm. But eventually... One after the other after the other, it's, you know, it becomes no longer a coincidence. And the Celtics are hanging their hat on the the defensive rating and the defensive numbers, and they are second in the NBA. The problem is they've been pretty ordinary in November. I think they ranked tenth in the month of November. They were so good in October, and they had that that six and two start. They were so they were lapping the field defensively. They were so good, and you're seeing trade on those numbers for a while. You know, it takes a while to to catch up. But defensively, they have not been good, and that's the calling card, and, and that's what it has to be. And, you know, and, and until you figure it out, there's a lot of angst about Toronto and Milwaukee. You know what? Everyone's going to have to let that go because Celtics are not playing Toronto and Milwaukee right now. They're playing with them. They're, they're dealing with what they have to deal with mm-hmm. individually. And if they get it turned around, then maybe they can start chasing and making up some of that ground. But Toronto and Milwaukee are in a different world right now. Yeah, and you bring up the team defense and one the defense ratings. They haven't been very high, but one thing that – I saw really that Chris Forsberg tweeted out the other day. And I think I actually saw this on your timeline. But the fact that the Celtics, their defense has been slipping in the second half routinely all year. They're rated like first in the first quarter, sixth in the second, then 11th and 10th in the third and fourth quarter. And yeah. just what is making this team kind of apparently not really fall apart because they're still in the top 10, but certainly not play nearly as strong in the second half. Well, I think there have been just lapses in games. I think the, probably the most discouraging and the most encouraging thing at the same time is the fact that the Celtics have been wildly inconsistent. Because if they were 10-10 and 10, and they had been pretty ordinary throughout the 20 games, right. you'd say, man, I would be more concerned about that. The fact that I go back to 2010, I was talking to Grant about this on the plane yesterday, that the Celtics in 2010, they, they did the opposite of this. They had a really good start. And then they could not have been more ordinary and at times terrible for the final two-thirds of the year. But they knew they had the ability to do it. We don't know yet mm-hmm. how good this team can be except for little patches of games. What do we make of the fact they've played their best games? Right now, the two best teams in the NBA statistically are Toronto and Milwaukee. You take the three games the Celtics played against Toronto and Milwaukee, and they're certainly top five, maybe all top three of the games they have played mm-hmm. through the first 20. So yep. what do we make of the fact they played better against the good teams? What do we make of the fact that at times they look great and at times they look terrible? You would rather have that right. than a team that was just ordinary all the time because it means they have that level to go to. The question is, the, the multi-million dollar question right now is, why are they taking possessions off? What is going on in these long matches? Even Atlanta, they're so much better than Atlanta. Mm-hmm. They went five or six minutes without scoring. Mm-hmm. Friday night, but the lead only went from 29 to 22 because Atlanta just isn't any good. Right. So there's a lot of stuff to figure out. I just, to me, 
the only thing that I tweeted that I thought was interesting that I kind of stumbled on at 4 a.m. after the Dallas game was the fact that each of the last two years, the Celtics have had a stretch in which they went 10-10 and 10, yep. and actually against a worse schedule than they played mm-hmm. with a scoring differential even smaller than the one they have now. Mm-hmm. So they've had 20-game stretches in each of the last two years that were significantly worse than the one they were in now, and both those years they obviously went to the Eastern Conference Finals. Just this happens to come A, with expectations, and B, right out of the gate. Right, and that was something I wanted to ask you about, is that is that kind of, and I know you're right, they have played their best games against the best teams. Is that just almost sort of a reality of the NBA in 2018 that a lot of these teams, these star-laden teams, not saying that they're lazy, but they know they're going to be there at the end. Do Sometimes these teams, they kind of, they don't get up for the bad team somewhere. Sometimes you saw, you know, the heat when LeBron was in. You see the Warriors sometimes, they lapse against bad teams because really it's not as important to those teams. Is that what's happening with the Celtics or do the problems go deeper than that? I don't know. I don't think we're going to know that for another 10, 15, 20 games. But I'll say this. If the Celtics aren't significantly, and by that I mean six, seven, eight games over 500 by Christmas, then I think it's time to, you know, at some point, it's not yet, but we're not far from it now, where you are which you are. And I think the schedule thing, to me, was very legitimate mm-hmm. until Wednesday night. Uh-huh. And Wednesday night against New York last week was the night that all the alibis and the fans' patience both mm-hmm. kind of went away. And that was, at, at that point, it became a real thing to me. Yeah, the bad game against Utah, second night of back-to-back, uh, okay. Even Dallas, you know, Charlotte, I thought they played well at Charlotte, I'll take that. The Dallas game is kind of, uh, I can't really figure it out because you don't know yet how good Dallas is. Mm-hmm. Dallas had three days off, and the Celtics are on the second night of back-to-back. So there's always a reason within every game, and that's sort of the problem. There's been reasons. The schedule right. is this, team is that, this guy's out. So, but clearly there is something wrong. And the question is, at what point? You know, we talked about 20 games being a kind of a marker of that sample size. Well, it's 20 games, and now – you know, this is a the Monday night in New Orleans. That's a pretty tough one on paper because New Orleans is a 500 Western Conference team. But after that, you know, I see a lot of New York and Chicago and Cleveland. You know, there's not Minnesota back-to-back that's tough. But uh, this is the time. Between now and Christmas, if the Celtics don't start winning games, I think then it's uh, all of the complaints, all the talk show stuff that started a month ago, mm-hmm. I think starts to become legitimate. Well, I mean, say you get to that. So you get to that point, I mean, you get there and you're at 500, you're one game above 500. I mean, what do you see happening? Do you see, see the team trying to make some kind of changes, make some kind of move, or just move around the lineup? Or do you see any, you know, marked changes happening? Because obviously this, this was a team that came in with, at least from my perspective, with the expectations of at least being competitive in a final series. Uh, the, the, by answering your question with a question, I'm saying, have you has there ever been a time that Danny Ainge has not had his finger on the trigger, whether it seems needed or not? That's the answer to that question. So uh, nothing nothing surprises me with Danny mm-hmm. in charge. Absolutely nothing. All right, well, that's fair enough. And I guess just one more thing I'll ask you about. You tweeted and you had a little – you kind of had a little, little bit of a – you tweeted at – because we're t- – tweeted at Mark Stein about his about his Rocky movie power rankings. And it's <laughs> funny. I saw it because we – at least you – know, once again, once again, we're here in the past. We're here on Monday recording this. But I we planned on the show about talking about Creed two in the first segment, which was – a phenomenal movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but it was absolutely outstanding. Made me cry a little bit. Made me and my co-host, who's also going to be here at one point. But I mean, just yeah. What do you say? What are your What are your Rocky power rankings? Because we are we are a Rocky well, Four uh, program here. I, I give so here's the thing. If you put that, I guess you put three and four at the top of the list. So three I, I think two. putting four. 
Was, did, he, did he put three and two? Okay, but he had four. Number three. I thought he did the game with me. I was with him Saturday, so I got to do a lot of it on the air uh, in Dallas because he's from Dallas, so we you know we had some fun with it on the air. I think that's sort of tro- – listen, I think Rocky Four was formative to all of us, but let's face it, Rocky Four is a music video, a series of music videos. <laughs> it's not a movie. At one point, there's literally two music montages. I'm really going this – this is a deep dive. Like, go back and watch it, and you'll see – there is a long five six minute music video montage, oh, no. and then there is a dial. Then there's a dialogue exchange between Rocky and Adrian, who has come all the way to Russia, which looks suspiciously like Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He's come all the way out there to see him, and they talk for about ten seconds. There's about two lines of dialogue, and then there's another eight minute, you know, music. I mean, it's almost like, well, what do we have here? We're in dialogue. Well, we've got about a thirty one minute movie. All right. Well, let's just. You know, let's get some songs done and do some sit-ups and climb a mountain crunches, and we're good. <laughs> it's the greatest montage movie of all time. And then he put, his list did not have five at the bottom, which to me, that's automatic no credibility to begin with. And he he put guess. six. Yeah. He put Rocky Balboa at the bottom, which in and of itself, which I thought was a you know a perfectly good film. I think tied up a lot of things we didn't want to see in five. Plus, my fiance has a cameo in Rocky Six, so I really? thought he was deliberately going. He was deliberately going at me. By doing that, so I, you know, really, I had to take some. Oh wait, what was your fiance doing in Rocky in Rocky Balboa? Well, she was a she was a sports center anchor back then, and ah. uh, in two thousand in two thousand six, she hosted uh, first take and all that. But she was in the I think I guess Linda Linda Cohn is in the new one. Yeah, yes, uh, Dana um, was in Dana's in the Dana's in Rocky Six. So Max Kellerman is absolutely like one of the main characters of Creed Two. Has at least like twenty minutes of like talking in that movie it's it's pretty incredible that's one of my favorite lines in rocky balboa is when he walks in and max it almost seemed like a non-scripted line where max max says man my whole life i've been watching rocky balboa fights and now i get to call one which i thought was a really cool <laughs> that was a cool ride i don't know if he had lived it or not but it was a you know, i think that's kind of what we all what we all felt but yes absolutely absolutely go see creed too oh my god absolutely like app my mind I'm writing an article on it this week I don't care I'm, I'm all about that movie right now but anyway unless you have any closing thoughts it's been really nice talking to you Sean I'm really my only closing thought is I'm just I'm pretty excited to see Dolph Lundgren and, and Stallone in the same shot like that's all I want to oh, see that oh, to he, me is the payoff of the movie Dolph Lundgren is yeah. absolutely like the best actor in that movie it's incredible it's inc- it's like a, yeah, it's, I mean that, that's all that's all I needed here. It's incredible what he does with. It's incredible what he does with Ivan Drago. Like he makes him like a like a man. He makes him a character. He makes him human. Well, Drago kind of steals the you know. Oh, he steals. Drago steals. You wanted to know more about Drago. You wanted to know what happened to Drago after. Oh, you find after out after the fourth promotion. You find out. You find it all out. Let me tell you. It, it's an emotional ride. It is absolutely- a few years ago. Years ago, I went to because I'm, I'm insane. It was a, technically a vacation. I went to the Memorial Cup. Uh, which is the Canadian Junior Hockey big event in Canada every year. And it was in Vancouver, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. And I went to the Pacific Coliseum. They didn't have a GM place. It was at the Pacific Coliseum where they had the Memorial Cup. And two of my all-time favorite sporting events from my childhood were there. And I texted my guy, I texted Bill Simmons. I said, name my two favorite sporting events. I texted him from there. I said, my two favorite sporting events took place in this building. What were they? And one was the 94 Stanley Cup Finals, which the Rangers eventually won in seven games. But the other one was the Rocky Drago fight was filmed at the Pacific Coliseum <laughs> in Vancouver. Where in Russia, in Russia, yes. Sacred, yeah, sacred ground. Yes, yeah, quote-unquote Russia, yeah. Yes, quote-unquote Russia. Well, that's, you see? you see? You see, I'm telling you, greatest sports movie of all time, Rocky Four. I'm glad. I didn't realize you have this many Rocky takes. This is great. 
You never hold. know what you're going to get when you when you pick up the phone, right? Yeah, you, know, you never know. No, you're right. You're right. I got to get more guests. I got to bring on more guests to the show. <laughs> got that's what I got you. Tell your friends, Sean. Get everybody. Get everybody. Well, you can come talk about anything you want here on the Stadium Experience. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining me, Sean. You got it. You're welcome anytime. All right. We were just talking to Sean Grandy, radio voice of the Boston Celtics, full of Rocky takes, which is great, which is absolutely great. And anyway, so back to future Jake. At the end of these messages, we'll be back. You are listening to the Stadium Experience with Jake Elmsley on 90.7 WXI. And when we come back, we'll be talking about whatever we didn't talk about in the first segment. And I will see you then.